heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Um, I don't know if the audience remembers this, but on Thursday night, I recorded week nine with Matt Beast, and we talked mainly about New Orleans, Tampa. We were thinking it's going to be a close game. Well, the opposite the opposite happened. It was a straight blow-up, ass-whooping, ass-kicking, call it whatever you want, 38-3. Tom Brady put up a goose egg on his stat line because the only points came from a Ryan suck-up field goal. And because of everything that happened in that game, I said to myself, you know what, I had to get Matt back on. I just I just had to, I just had to, because who better to break down that awesome game than Matt Beast? So, buddy, how are we feeling? Oh, man. I mean, uh, elated, um, excited, uh, happy, stress-free. <laughs> So many adjectives to describe the feelings and emotions of that game. Um, going into it, um, the Saints have been coming off some really, really, really close games with the Chargers, the Panthers, and the Bears. They've just been – we just barely squeaked out these wins. And at the end of the day, all you got to do is go out and just win. Just get the, just stack up these wins and just keep going. And then eventually this team will show who they are. I mean, they had – the talent. I always thought they had the talent. It's just they weren't putting it all together. And last night we put it all together for one of the best games uh, the Saints have played, probably under the Sean Payton era, considering the opponent and who they're going up against. And I mean, it's still crazy that uh, Tom Brady has never been swept in the division in a divisional matchup. But I mean, uh, sorry to AFC East fans, but uh, I mean, this isn't really the AFC East that he's in anymore. It's NFC South, and it's a much different animal for sure. Oh, buddy, you're not upsetting me at all. I, um, for 20 years, I uh, did not mind that at all. Um, one thing I'm going to say quickly, and everyone was, will talk about the, how the networks and where they picked, but there's two players in this team whose efforts I think only have gone noticed by Saints fans who I'm paying the most attention to, and if I had to give game balls, I'd give these two men game balls, and that is Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchak because they were phenomenal against that Tampa defense Sunday night. Oh, yeah, for sure, and they're great. And uh, let me throw out this stat to you. Um, who would you think are the top three players in sacks in the NFL right now? Uh, Levante David. Um, I know Trey is up there. And who's the third? I'm going to say Miles Garrett. Well, you're right with Miles Garrett. He's actually tied with Aaron Donald for number one. And number three is Trey Hendrickson from the New Orleans Saints at seven and a half sacks. That is crazy that Trey Hendrickson is number three in the NFL in sacks to me because, I mean, uh, for, for a while, Marcus Davenport was hurt and Cam Jordan. He's been, uh, he hasn't been quite as uh, productive as he normally is in terms of hurry, sacks, and production on the field. And uh, it's just crazy that Trey Hendrickson's up there. And I mean, Bruce Arians even had a sound clip of him saying, the easiest person to guard uh, to, to guard on that de- defensive line is Trey Hendrickson. And then he goes out and gets technically three back 
back-to-back sacks in one series, even though one got called back due to a holding penalty. Um, so I'm sure that was a great moment for him. Um, he was definitely hyped. And, of course, uh, like you said, uh, Ramshack and Armstead, when they're when they're both healthy, Armstead, of course, he has uh, his health problems sometimes. But uh, when when they're both uh, on their A games, they're two of the best bookend tackles in the entire league. I mean, it's just amazing what these uh, two guys have done. Uh, um, Ar- uh, Ramshack out of Wisconsin, and Armstead out of uh, the University of Pine Bluff. Shout out to that place if you know where that's at. Um, but man, it was just—it's uh, just crazy to see Trey Hendrickson up there, and those two definitely did play well to their credit. But it's just the fact too, because going into this game, everyone thought, "Oh, this Tampa defense." But the one thing I—I I, I will talk—we'll talk box later. I just want to focus on the Saints right now. The one thing I want to notice with this game, though, is just like I feel like Drew—they made it simple. Like everyone forgot that. Oh, without Michael Thomas, they're nothing. Well, without him, they quietly have gone five and two. Um, they've been able to unleash other receivers. Like, there's the one tight end's name I'm blanking on right now. Not Hill, the other guy, Adam Troutman. Troutman, who uh, I heard Peyton loves, and then also too, you had Mike Michael Burton making plays. Latavius Murray, Alvin Kamara. Like, you guys whooped them, and Michael Thomas didn't even get a touchdown. That's the one big thing. So I'm like. Coming into this coming Sunday's game for you guys, like the only thing I have to say is like everyone's going to be so focused on like oh how we get rid of like Traquan Smith, um, Emmanuel Sanders, who both they had touchdowns. Which I have to say, the Traquan Smith touchdown was probably my favorite of the game. Just the simple tiptoes in. I just love plays that replicate like that. The whole Santonio Holmes element from Super Bowl Forty Three. Um, oh yeah, but man, like, and also too, the one other thing I want to say is. Man, that may have been Taysom Hill's best game since the Viking playoff game last year. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Taysom Hill, he's another guy. I mean, that's a theme across this Saints team is a lot of these players just have not uh, expectations thus far um, this season. And slowly they're starting to put it together, especially with the culmination of this game. Taysom Hill went out there and had him a pretty good game. Um one argument that I've seen a lot, and I mean, I've probably and I've probably mentioned it on the podcast before, is the whole people ragging on Drew Brees with the his average depth of target and all that. Um, I, I really wish people would kind of get off of that because, like, we're taking away from one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, and the fact that last uh, the other night, Sunday night, is probably his last primetime game ever because this is probably his last season and that was his last Sunday night football game probably ever which is crazy to think about and I mean Drew Brees he has a uh, there's some stickers in there for sure um, in in prime time but for the most part he's when the lights are on that man is on and last night for sure was that because like with this Bucks defense like you're like you're saying with the Bucks defense being really good um, I found they're playing a lot of zone coverage and just trying to get to the quarterback and focusing on the pressures and it just didn't work for him i mean you play zone on drew and you blitz him he's gonna find the open man especially when michael thomas and emmanuel sanders are back healthy and uh but yeah it's a, it was a uh it was a good performance by drew so i'm very happy to see him go out there and do his thing and getting Taysom hill as a cog in the wheel will be important going down the line 
like, you know, my father's also a Saints fan. He was basically, every time Taysom Hill came out on third down, he was like, oh, come on, like, what's going on here? And then he makes a play. So it's, I'm like, and even too, like, he's doing special team stuff. He's, like, getting these nice QB runs in. He's had that night. He had a reception. Like, it's just like a jack-of-all-trades. Um, the one thing I want to ask you, though, is in the NFC, um, I want, I because I feel like you could give an opinion where you are being, like, a little bit biased just because it's your team. But at the same time, as a realistic fan, can you see this team returning to Tampa in February? Hmm. It's, uh, it, it, it all comes down to staying healthy and keeping, keeping luck on our side. And through these past couple of really hard games, the luck has definitely uh, swayed our way in a couple ways. And the one thing that uh, makes me worry is looking at the standings real fast here. Um, I mean, of course, a couple teams that are up there, you got the Seahawks. And the Seahawks remind me a lot of uh, the Saints when their defense was historically bad. Um, you got Russell Wilson in the game against the Bills this past week. I actually predicted the Bills, which uh, shot, uh, Pat's on back there. Um he was just trying to do too much. He ended up turning the, turning the ball over a couple of times because every time he goes up there, he's like, okay, I got to score because the defense might not be able to hold up. And that's what Drew was facing all the time. And that's why Drew, uh, um, in that period of his career, was throwing so many picks. And now that his defense is competent, which is actually top like three or five in the league right now, which is crazy to think about. Granted, this game probably helped it a lot. Um it helps a lot, although I will say the Saints defense, I think they're the most penalized in the league, and that doesn't really go towards stats or anything, so that hurts them a lot. But uh, I think our biggest competition is definitely the Packers because Aaron Rodgers is having a really good season. Um, so it, I think it's going to come down to the Seahawks or the Packers that we have to worry about. And a uh, whole big thing of being to the Super Bowl is – I really think getting the buy is going to be really important for any team that gets there since there's only one buy to give out now. And uh, I really want that buy. So I really need the Saints to uh, keep it up and keep the pace because right now they're they're at the top of the conference. Um, and I need it to stay that way because luckily one of our two losses was against an AFC opponent. So that definitely helps a lot. So if I had to give a prediction, I'm still going to go with my boys to make it to the Super Bowl. But uh, I'm definitely most worried about the Packers. And uh, if our defense, if we end up having to play the Seahawks, having to contain Russ will be a chore. I, I agree with both those takes. It's just my only thing is I feel like if the Packers and Saints were to hook up again like they did on Sunday Night Football Week 3, it was a very close game, but then there was the non-Michael Thomas factor there. So if you add him in there, I remember that game. I think Alvin Kamara had like a crazy 50-yard run. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like both games, like, I would be confident, like, say if it's the NFC Championship and it's one of those two going in, like, one of those two combinations for you guys, like, I'd still feel confident, but at the same time, too, I feel like it would be, I think, the game that we thought Sunday night was going to be. I thought it would, like, it would be, like, a 35-31, something like that, as I know I usually do, I did this Thursday night as him and I, Matt and I recorded, because it was the, I can't believe I'm blanking on the Thursday night game from this past week. Um, Lord, help me. Um, oh, Packers Niners. Um, I'm just, yeah. I was like, nothing else is on, so I just on NFL Network, and they happen to have the uh, Cardinals-Dolphins game on from Sunday, which I'll, I want to talk about in a second, because just because it was another great game. 
But the, the my other thing with Sunday too is as soon as like the um, everyone picked on the end. Not, I didn't know about the NFL Network and ESPN until like after the game was done. But when NF when all the guys on NBC were going box, I'm like. I think the Saints are going to win this game. And then the fact that they came out so strong, but even too, where you guys got to them. There was a one drive where they got um, to the one-yard line. They couldn't convert at all. I'm like, they got stuffed, like Gronk's not catching. But the other thing, too, that I like I noticed about this Bucks team was they just looked dejected at halftime. Like, that's not usually what the Patriots look like. Like, I only say that because, oh, Brady wasn't there for, like, I don't know, 20 years. But... They made no in-game adjustments, and like you said, they just kept trying to run the same stuff, and they kept playing a lot of, uh, did you say zone defense or man defense? They're playing mainly zone. I feel like in the first game, they're playing a lot of man, especially on Michael Thomas, trying to slow him down, and this time they felt more like it was zone, and they're trying to blitz a lot more, And uh, but Drew was just throwing it way too quick for him. Okay, okay, that's the only thing, because, and even, too, like, how there was so much, like, opening separation, even, too, Drew was just getting in those, like, really nice, um, just balls, like, those nice, accurate spirals and everything, and even, too, the fact that there was only the one sack just says so much, like, of how, hey, if you, like, if this offensive line gets the time to play, like, they'll win, and the only other thing I want to say, too, is... I do not know who the offensive line coach for the Bucs is, but why do you match Tristan Worfs against Cam Jordan? Now I get it. Tristan Worfs has looked great as a rookie, but you let Cam Jordan bully you, you're going to have a rough night as a guard and a tackle. To be fair, uh, him or Donovan Smith, the other tackle, were not playing well. Donovan Smith's definitely a weak point of that line. Tristan Worfs has uh, the talent where he can – where you can hope he gets there, but he is a rookie, so you got that going for you. I mean, the Saints, they even have a rookie who's important to their line, and they uh, sometimes he's just not playing. Sometimes they have Nick Easton, the former guard from uh, Minnesota, in. Uh, it's kind of a interchangeable cog in the wheel, uh, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, Drew was just carving him up, and the O-line was playing great. And to the credit of the O-line, the one sack that was given up on Breeze – was uh, from Jared Cook, the tight end. He actually gave up a sack to Shaquille Barrett. I don't know why you're matching up Jared Cook on Shaquille Barrett in the first place, but all in all, Jared Cook was about the only saint on the team that just had a terrible night. I mean, drops, a fumble, uh, that that uh, led to the Bucks having the ball in that one-yard one yard line uh, series there. Um, but, yeah, it was just a bad night for him, but good night for everybody else at least. I don't know, that's the most important thing, though, because like even too when it was thirty-one nothing at half, and um, who is it? I remember Al Michaels was saying like, "Oh, hey, this happened before in twenty thirteen. Brady was down twenty-four nothing at the half of the Broncos, and they came back and won an OT." And like, I think some people were kind of like, "Yo, what?" And I'm like, "They have to say something to get people to watch." Like, I knew there was like, "Oh, Brady could come back," but even though there's a chance there, yeah, Tom could do it. They made zero in-game adjustments. Like you said, they kept playing the same defense. They, Tampa's bread and butter this year has been their play action, which they didn't really run. I feel like New Orleans had a simplified game plan, but Tampa just overcomplicated things. And, like, I think it's the big difference. When yeah. you overcomplicate your game plan, like, even, yes, I'm going to go back and give another Pats example. Last night, everyone bitching about, oh, Cam didn't have these long bombs and he didn't have, like, the, his magnificent runs. You draw up a good game plan that's going to make your uh, quarterback have, a, have fun and do easy plays you're going to win the game more than likely. 
to be fair, I don't think the play action would have worked last night anyway, since the Bucks ran the ball like a historically low amount for any NFL team in a game. They ran the ball a combined five times. So uh, <laughs> when you get down so quick, your offense kind of becomes one-dimensional. The defense knows you're really not going to run the ball because you got to play catch-up, especially when you're down that much that quick. So all you're going to be doing is throwing the football. And uh, to be fair, um, when our defense is playing the Bucks, that's like one of their most inspired games all season, especially because Marshawn Lattimore, for whatever reason, whenever Mike Evans is on the field, Marshawn Lattimore goes Super Saiyan 3 Goku and becomes like literally the best corner in the NFL when he plays Mike Evans with maybe the exception of one game they've ever had. Like, Mike Evans, never play him in fantasy when he plays the Saints because Marshawn Lattimore is going to do everything in his power to make sure he does nothing. Uh, I don't know what it is with those two, but they always get into it, and Marshawn Lattimore seems to just have the guy's number. And, and like, if we can somehow hypnotize Lattimore into thinking he's playing Mike Evans every week, oh, my God, we would be unstoppable. Um. I'm going to say something quick. I won uh, my fantasy this week, well, mainly because of Kyler Murray, but I was playing against Mike Evans, and I think he had like 10 or 11 points, so just a little quick tip in it I wanted to throw in there. Um, but no, besides this, I think, and also too for the Saints, their schedule is pretty favorable upcoming, but when I looked at it, I saw you guys have, I think, Atlanta two times like the next three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are games where you guys should feel confident, but at the same time, too... Divisional football can go either way. I'm not saying that to get you riled up or anything. I'm just saying, like, um, the game this Sunday, I think you guys should win. But then those Atlanta games, because Atlanta's a team that where if they weren't the Falcons, they would probably be right up there in, like, 5-4 and four or, like, 6-3. and three. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we split that series with the Falcons because the Falcons-Saints rivalry is one of the most underrated uh, rivalries in all of football because those two teams just go at each no matter who, uh, no matter what the standings are that season, it's just always a hotly contested game. Um, no matter what, um, I mean, I'm hoping to uh, run the table on them because I hate the Falcons. And speaking of the Falcons, uh, during that game, I was really hoping it didn't end up 28 to three at one point because if somehow the Bucks came back 28 to three on us, I would never hear the end of it. Uh, from the internet as a whole, but thankfully that never happened. But uh, but yeah, hopefully uh, the Falcons games can go well. But um, the pessimistic side of me is already expecting a split in the series. But uh, optimistically, I, I I could see us sweeping them. But uh, definitely, there's a pessimistic side to me that thinks oh, we're probably going to split that series. But but yeah, I mean this next game is the 49ers. Um, we kind of lucked out because this game could have. Could have been a really hard game to win, and with all the injuries they've been facing, it just does not look good for the 49ers at all right now. No, that's what I was saying, too, because when this game came out on the schedule like six months ago, because the schedule came out in May this year, um, you look at it and you kind of go, okay, 425, it's probably going to be like America's Game of the Week with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, which um, uh, when they called the Saints this year, I don't know what it is, but I feel like Troy kind of doesn't like the Saints for some reason. Just That's the vibe I get from him. But this week you guys have Adam Amon and Mark Sherlick. Sh- Sh- I think I fucked that up. And Lindsey uh, Zerniak on the sidelines. So it's like a pretty decent, uh, not the Fox A crew, but it's 
and still in that prime window, that 425, because I think last, even going back to last year too, that Niners Saint game, I think it was like 49 to 46 or something like that, like some crazy scoreline. But that, oh, I think yeah, this year's going to be different. Oh, yeah, it was. And going into that game, I remember people had questions about the Saints offense even then. I mean, there's been questions for the Saints offense coming off several games uh, the past couple of years just because of the way we do things now. And uh, Drew Brees was just on another level that game, and so was everyone else. Um, it was crazy, uh, that game was. And then George Kittle ended up killing us at the end there, which kind of sucked. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no George Kittle this week for him, and there's lots of injuries for them there. But uh, I never take any any, op- any opponent lightly because every Sunday is a new Sunday, and every game's different. Oh, buddy, one hundred percent. But I'm just looking up that stat line from this game, right? The game right here from that one. It was a forty-eight to forty-six. Pardon me, the score. But um, at the half, it was twenty-eight to twenty-seven for the Forty ers Like even like let's just I'm just looking at it right here too. Uh, they the you guys went up uh, twenty to seven. You guys went twenty-seven and then twenty-seven fourteen and then the. 49ers rally back with Emmanuel Sanders, uh, a trick play with Emmanuel Sanders Raheem Mostert. I know you like hearing about that, but it's just a quick little summary. Um, yeah, yeah. And also to the 49ers, that was their actually the 11th win of the year last year, and the first time they had gotten to 11 wins since 2013. Oh, excuse me. Um, the other thing I got to say too quickly with Saints Falcons is we got robbed for a third year in a row. We could have had that be the primetime Thanksgiving game, but hey, I'm not complaining about Baltimore Pittsburgh. It's just. 2018, we had it in New Orleans. 2019, it was in Atlanta. 2020, I don't know why they couldn't go back to either or. Just just a quick thought. For sure. I mean, uh, that would be a good staple for Thanksgiving, for sure. I mean, uh, the Saints-Falcons always have, and always have great games, I think, and that is a rob. What are all the Thanksgiving games this year? Um, the first one is Detroit versus Houston. Ugh. Which, yeah, I know. Um... Washington, Dallas, hmm. and then Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Well, at least I got Baltimore, Pittsburgh. <laughs> you got to go through two games of a. You basically have to go through a burnt turkey to get to the pumpkin pie. Like that's the only. Like I, I don't even eat pumpkin pie. I just not really my thing. Um, but and for everyone out there, oh my god, I just like pumpkin pie. Like I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who don't like pumpkin pie. Um, basically, you got to go through the crap to get to the good. Yeah, I mean, no, that's a that's a rough lineup. I'm sure the NFL is not very happy about how that came out. I mean, the Lions get a game every year, so it is what it is, and so do the Cowboys pretty much. But uh, at least I can be happy about having uh, Baltimore and Pittsburgh out there. That, that'll be a great game. And it's like you, um, what was I going to say? Well, it's to quote uh, Brian Griffin uh, to a group of Lions in a zoo, um, hey, it's Thanksgiving. You should be in Detroit losing a football game right now. Um, but it, honestly, I would rather it be Lions Texans than I think the last two years was like I think it was like the Lions and the Bears for two years in a row. Which like you, I'd rather see that than the other than the latter. But even to like, I think the first game has potential just because you honestly, I don't, you don't really know what you're gonna get from either team any week, like. Uh, they could either suck or they could be great, but man, it's the second game that I'm just like, oh Jesus Christ! Like Dallas, Washington, I'm like, there's no promise there. Like it's gonna be bad. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, 
Because even, too, just looking at that game, I'm like, it's 4.30. Like, I know you can't put different teams on there, but I feel like I don't know why they didn't put Dallas-Pittsburgh in the Thanksgiving slot. Like, I'm sorry. That's a, I know it's probably the broadcasting stuff because I'm pretty sure each year it's flips between. I'm pretty sure, I don't know who's broadcasting what, but I think one year it's one game, CBS, one's Fox. But, man, you have a chance to put that. Like, imagine if we got the game that, and we'll talk about that right now with Dallas and Pittsburgh. But if that game was Thanksgiving, I don't think anyone would be mad. No, I mean, that game ended up uh, a lot closer than a lot of people think, including myself. Um, Dallas really gave Pittsburgh a run for their money to the point where you're like, wow, is Dallas really going to end up beating the undefeated team? And a lot of times it plays out like that. The undefeated team ends up losing to a uh, a weaker team. Um, It just happens that way a lot of the times for whatever reason it is. Sometimes it's just because they're sleeping on them and – they, these uh, weaker teams normally just jump up on them. Like, I see the Jets upsetting someone at some point during the season, um, for sure. Um, I mean, uh, I feel like the Packers were like that a couple years ago when they played a Chiefs team that wasn't really what it was quite yet. Um, that's just one off the top of my head that I can think of that that ended up making them 15 and one. Um, but, yeah, it's normally uh, some of those surprise games. And, I mean, uh, the Dallas QB actually played pretty good. His name escapes me at the moment. Garrett uh, Gilbert. Yeah, Garrett Gilbert. Him and uh, Jake Luton uh, going out there and actually playing really well. So, shout out to both of them. Um, Can we talk about Garrett, uh, not Garrett Gilbert, Jake Luton for a minute? Like, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, but that spin move that you had, like, if – like, as, you, like, Jacksonville's only other option is Mike Glennon, so I'm just, like, at the point where I'm like, yeah, you keep Luton in there, and if you, like, even though they lost, I feel like if they don't end up with the first overall pick, you keep Jake Luton unless you want to go for Justin Fields, but that's another discussion. Uh, but, no, back to the Dallas-Pittsburgh game. Pittsburgh has a really bad habit of playing down to the level of their competition. They did it against the Broncos. They did it against the Texans. And uh-huh. I think that could be their ultimate kryptonite because they're they, they too like if you look at Pittsburgh's schedule I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up right now just because a it piques my curiosity and b it um uh, like like I said just curiosity peaking we're here we're on the fly you know this is live when I'm looking up stuff on my phone which I do pretty often but is what it is um like this week Ben's against- on the COVID list too. Yeah, Ben's on the COVID list. Um, they're playing the Bengals this week, which I honestly would not be shocked if the Bengals won that game. But after that, it's uh, at Jaguars versus Ravens versus football team, at Bills, at Bengals versus Colts, at Browns. I mean, none of those are just really give me wins unless you just want to say Washington is, and I guess the Jaguars. Um, but they could end up having a game like against the Cowboys where they play down to the level of the competition, like you said. Um, it could definitely happen. Exactly. Like, even, too, like, I would not be shocked if Cincinnati steals either game, especially because if Ben's not playing Sunday, and it also because you got to remember, he hurt his knee in that game. So if he's uh-huh. hurt plus the COVID list, like, Baker's on there, too, right now. You saw what happened to Matt Stafford because Detroit played, like, shit on Sunday against Minnesota, and Stafford was not at practice all week long. He even had to... Uh, I did this one watching Red Zone, or I heard this, but basically they said, um, what did they say? 
that Matt Stafford like had to take his own, like brought him in on a private jet. He had the quarantine from the rest of the team at the hotel, and he didn't see anyone. I don't think until Sunday morning. So if something very similar like that happens to Ben, like I would be very concerned. So uh, do not. I would avoid taking the Steelers in survival pools this week. I actually, if I'm gonna be honest with you, who to take with for survival? Matt, I'm taking the Saints. Hmm. That scares me to think about because normally when. Uh, there's just a game on the Saints schedule that everyone's like, okay, they just came off this huge win. Um, they should go out and destroy this 49ers team. Uh, for some reason, that scares me because I'm just, I just get pessimistic about everything and start worrying about even the smallest thing. Uh, even though this Niners team shouldn't be really scary. I mean, you never really know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I can see a lot of people definitely taking the Saints in a survivor pool setting if you're still alive um me myself i've never really done survival pool stuff because i end up losing like the first week but uh but yeah that'd probably be a good one um but quickly with the game i'm just gonna give a quick prediction for the sunday i think you guys will win but i don't think it's gonna be like another 38 to 3 game if i put a score line i'd say like 28 to 10 like you guys have a good game like another four like four touchdown day but uh the like nick mullins has one good drive yeah, I'd probably say 27-13, something along those lines. Yeah, and meanwhile, too, if there's another pick for survival, um, I'm not going away personally because I don't like to pick against them, but um, say Ravens over Patriots, I know they had hit that historic win, but I'm going in this. It's I'm going in thinking the worst because of what happened last year and how our defense has played. Um, but and like there was honestly this weekend there was a lot of good games like and also too you know when you pad yourself on the back for getting the bills right when I got them wrong uh-huh. there's another one too where I don't know if you picked Arizona or Miami but I know you picked the Baltimore Ravens and I picked the Colts and I looked silly for picking the Colts because like I I've said this before Philip Rivers is that guy where he'll either look great or piss you off and this week he pissed you off and he looked like an idiot himself like there was that one fumble scoop up where he's just like. It's like if you're on the ground and you're trying to like reach the ceiling. It's like, eh. like I know Matt and I can't see each other right now because we're just on the uh, voice chat. We're not on video chat, but it's like you're just like it's like a ba- it's like a you know how a baby lays on the ground and there's that like weird toy thing above them. They're supposed to like grab shit. Yeah, that's what Philip Rivers looked like trying to stop the. I think it was Chuck <laughs> Clark when he got that fumble. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, man? Yeah, I mean. uh... If the Colts are playing a good defense, I definitely wouldn't want a part of them, especially because, like, this team is so heavily predicated on trying to get the run game going, and they've had a hard time of it. I mean, Jonathan Taylor has been kind of a disappointment so far. Uh, The week before, Jordan Wilkins and Nyeen Hines went off, but uh, it just didn't happen this time around. Um, But they were playing the Lions, to be fair, last week, and the Lions' run defense is probably one of the worst in the leagues, if I had to take a guess. Um, But, uh, I mean, you just had a good Ravens team. Granted, the Colts' defense is really good, and the Ravens didn't look great either. I mean, but uh, I'd definitely take the Ravens' offense over the Colts' offense at this point, considering Phillip Rivers just likes to dunk dunk it off to his running backs and throw to tight ends. And uh, the tight end crew room isn't really that great, and the running back room is not producing very good, even though they have, on paper, a really great O-line. It just has not manifested altogether for uh, Jonathan Taylor. But going forward, I don't know what to expect from this Colts backfield. Um, 
I'm kind of getting into it because I have Jonathan Taylor in a whole bunch of dynasty leagues, so I'm kind of stressed out about it too at the moment. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know just what to expect from him at this point. Uh, I guess you just got to hope that he goes up there and continues to play um, and get snaps and keeps and starts to actually gain confidence at some point. Because I mean, last the week uh, last week I feel like he was benched because of Jordan Wickens and Ian Hines playing so well. And then this week, he pretty much got the start on the series, then he had the fumble, and that just screwed him up. And from there, Jordan Wilkins was starting to get more of the carries. I feel like it was almost a 50-50 split, though. But, uh, but yeah, um, that's enough on the Jonathan Taylor tirade. But, yeah, the, the Ravens, uh, they're a good team, even though they're not as good as they were last year. Um, their offense just hasn't looked as dynamic. Mark Andrews has been kind of a disappointment, uh, just to name another fantasy relevant player that just hasn't really been producing well but yeah that's uh, kind of my thoughts there um well with the Colts I think we're gonna find out a whole lot about them because this this coming Thursday that's a game that's all for all the marbles uh, they play the tight the Colts and the Titans play each other this week and I think they play each other Thanksgiving week so those those are gonna be two very in- intriguing games especially this Thursday night too where for a lot of times, it's like, oh, we like for the Thursdays. I always complain because you have to like kind of sifter through crap, even though some of the games are actually. I looked at the looking back at the Thursday night schedule. Like I remember like looking at a game like Jets Broncos and thinking, oh, this game's gonna be terrible, and it was a good game. Uh, another one being the Eagles Giants, same thing too. Which unfortunately, uh, Big Rat, who likes to come on when the Giants are on prime time, him and I like to record during then. But <laughs> the big thing with. Um, this Thursday night is, though, it's going to be a game where I'm not necessarily going to say it's good off the hop, but I think you're, like, quickly, I'm just going to say, you're going to find out a lot about both the Colts and the Titans, just because are we going to see, because you're going to have, so we have a supposed great offensive line, but like you said, too, they've struggled a bit this year against a suspect defensive line, and then you have the other side of the ball where you're going to have this really good Colts defense where they can, Darius Leonard and, like, DeForest Buckner and them are good. Going up against Derrick Henry, so that's just a little thing I want to throw in there too, which we could talk about later on and give our predictions for. But that's just something I want to throw in there, like I said, about this coming Thursday. But that's one reason why now I'm kind of glad I avoided Taylor and fantasy. Sorry for your loss, Matt. But <laughs> like you got me back by saying Mark Andrews too, and that that pains me a lot. Like I'm on the question now of in one league I have I have I have him, and then I have Hawkinson, and I'm trying to figure out who to start this Sunday. Uh, I would start Hawkinson every week right now until Andrews proves me different. But the thing about Andrews is when he has a good game, he has a great game, and it's kind of like a blow-up game. Uh, he's very volatile in that sense. Um, but with Hawkinson, he's he's really elevated. He's like in top five tight end category right now, which is uh, crazy to think. And it's, it's a good thing that he's emerged, I mean, after the Lions spent a first-round pick on him. Um, like a top ten pick, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, him and his teammate, Noah Fant, they're both uh, showing out, for sure. It's crazy that one team had both of these two tight ends. Uh, granted, Noah Fant, not to the quietest level as TJ Hawkinson has arisen, but, uh, but yeah. Um, but, yeah, the Thursday game should be a really interesting game for both of these teams. Um, but, yeah, I said we can get back into that a little bit later. Um, the only thing I was going to say, too, is I think the reason with Fant as well is because he struggled with injuries for the first couple of years of his career. Um mm-hmm. One game I want to talk about right now, not only because I feel like I'm watching on the NFL Network, but Matt, I know you're not directly a fan of this um, 
Actually, before we talk about the game, I want to ask, because uh, I know the head coach of Arkansas, unfortunately, got diagnosed with COVID, and the SEC got, like, a hurricane of it this week. Uh-huh. Um, is Arkansas's game still good for Saturday? Because I heard that Tennessee versus Texas A&M got postponed, and so did Alabama versus LSU, but I feel like for Tennessee and LSU, those are kind of blessings in disguise. Sorry, not. I know it sounds bad, but I just know Tennessee... It doesn't seem like they have the best culture right now, and also to LSU is going in the opposite direction that they were last year. Um, from what I see, I think it sounds like uh, the game is still on. Just uh, the coach Sam Pittman will not be there. With a quick side note, um, shout out to him. He's done really uh, a really good job. Um, I was to the point where with the Razorbacks, it's just like. If I tune in, it's kind of rare, especially last year, um, because it was just so bad for 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 a good while that we just had it so bad, and it's to the point where three and three is a really, really, really good step up. Because I, going into the season, I didn't know what to expect. I was like, okay, if we don't even win a single game, I won't be surprised. But. Uh, Glad to be sitting at three and three. That's a pleasant surprise at this point in the season. But yeah, he will not be uh, there at the Florida Gators game. And also, too, I'm just looking at my phone right now because I want to see, oh, see I'm playing the Gators. Ooh, that's a, that's a there's a that's a team I want to look out for to win the East. Um, but right now, one score I want to point out: Kent State over Bowling Green. It's not even the end of the first half, and it's 38 to 10. So Mac football is back, baby. Uh, <laughs> just have to get that little tidbit in there. But hopefully, now I, I assume if anything. I feel like they should move that Arkansas-Florida game into the spot where Alabama-LSU was, because otherwise I'll have dead air time. But mm-hmm. for all we know, because I feel like that won't be a Brad Nessler and uh, Gary Daniel or Gary Danielson kind of game, which I have my... I watch a bit of the SEC, and I kind of, I'm kind a little iffy on uh, Danielson myself. I know I'm kind of going on a rant right now, and everyone's going like, oh, this is NFL. I'm like, it's called football talk for a reason, because we can talk college ball. I'm just, oh, there are games. The games at seven o'clock. Three and well, you said three and three. Let's see what, how Arkansas has been this year. Georgia, Mississippi State, Auburn, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Florida, LSU, Missouri, Alabama. I think you guys it can go in there and finish. Like let's see, three, four, five, four. I think you guys can go five and five. Yeah, I mean uh, that would definitely be a win for this season because I mean this schedule. Just on paper, it looked so brutal going into it. And uh, the fact that we've actually already gotten three wins when we were losing to just mega trash teams last year um, is definitely a huge step up. So, uh, got to give him props on that because I don't think anyone was really expecting anything out of this team uh, for quite a while. And just being where we are now is a massive step up. You know what? Like, I feel like sometimes, like when you have a crap, like when you cheer for a team that's not doing the best. You know what? If they can win a few games here or there, it's like it's all you can ask for. Oh yeah. Um, going back into the NFL quickly. Um, not quickly. We're going back here right now. Um, the one game I want to talk about, and like, because I, I sidetracked when I'm talking about the SEC and their COVID situation, which I feel like we should have brought up. Um, looking right now at this Florida, uh, not Florida, Miami Arizona game from. Uh, Sunday afternoon, it reminded me a lot of Big 12 football. 
just pure offensive execution because no one's playing defense. And if you like that, folks, the Cardinals play the Bills this Sunday, so expect a very high-scoring game in that one. Uh, I want to check, actually, I'm going to look right here right now. I don't know how much of this game you watch, Matt, but honestly, really good football game with two teams who have promising futures in this league. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't really sit and watch one game anymore, if unless it's the Saints and I only have it on Red Zone, so I can just kind of keep up with uh, fantasy scores and kind of see... Um, individual players um throughout the games um but looking at it um <clears throat> the whole cardinals dog game it was a uh, huge offensive game kyler was very good tua was very good which the miami dolphins have to be very excited about that and i mean for the dolphins to be sitting at five and three on the uh curse cusp of looking at a playoff berth that is uh, definitely something I'm sure they would take, especially had Big Rat uh, talking about it right now. I'm sure he's very excited, um, especially seeing how Tua's looking good. Um, Preston Williams has been playing pretty good, Monte Parker, um, and then all those uh, all the weapons he has out there. Um, on the Cardinal side of things, I mean, Kyler Murray, this man is just insane. The fact that he had 100 yards rushing, and he's just been doing that like, like it's nothing it's just crazy how good this guy is and uh i have so much respect for him he's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the entire league um and their offense is just on another level to be fair um they just didn't quite get it done against the dolphins uh but a really close game and from what i saw on red zone it looked really good um i only watched this game because i just didn't care for uh Raiders Chargers and also to Steelers Cowboys until like it got exciting I was kind of like not boycotting but I was kind of like you know what like I really don't care about this game so I'm like I'm gonna watch I'm gonna watch Dolphins Cardinals because I'm like you know what it's on it's good but because like even to Sunday I literally watched Red Zone um my mom came home early but she was because like with her she just likes to watch one game so I feel like that's how a lot of our parents were raised where it was like just one game where if for them it's like seeing all these games at once like, they'll be watching one game, and they'll go, what happened? And then I'll go, oh, it's Red Zone. It just goes from game to game to game. Like, we love it for fantasy football, and just because I love it, because there's no better words in TV than seven hours of commercial-free football from Scott Hansen. Uh-huh. But... I mean, Red Zone's really good. I love it. Oh, you can't go wrong with it. Like, literally just watching it, like, it's one of those things where I'm like, this was a creation of heaven. And I, one day I feel like the goal, uh-huh. like a goal in having life is to have Scott Hansen's bladder because apparently he doesn't go to the bathroom for seven hours. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, he definitely has a hard job there just having to sit there and cover it the whole time. No commercial breaks. Any, no commercial tries to sneak in there. They quickly cut away from it. Um, he, he's definitely, uh, he definitely has a task uh, ahead of him, but he does a really good job at doing it. Exactly. Um, Another thing I wanted to get into quickly because it was on Red Zone quite a bit was the uh, Seahawks versus not yeah I was going to say Seahawks Cardinals I'm really all over the place right now that's going to be a banger of a game next Thursday night um, the Seahawks Bills game we were talking about this earlier but I got to ask you where do you I know they're seven and two right now but where do you see the Bills going right now this season um i'd have to pull up the bill schedule real quick but i mean going into the season i was really high on the bills especially with the whole uh the whole way the afc east is shaking out 
I mean, I had your Pats going at about seven and nine, eight and eight, honestly. Um, and then I had the Dolphins. I did. I didn't expect them to be this good, and I had them going about the same. And I thought the Bills were going to end up being like eleven and five, somewhere around that area, and win the division pretty easily. It looks like the Dolphins are going to give them a run for their money, honestly. And I mean, you never know. Your your guys could come out and uh, string some wins together. So you never really know how things could run, go out. But I mean, uh, looking at their schedule ahead. They got the Cardinals, Chargers, 49ers, Steelers, Broncos, Patriots, and the Dolphins. So, I mean, they have some tough games for sure. Um, you got to think the Chargers are probably going to uh, figure out a way to lose the game. Same with the Broncos. And the 49ers game is definitely, definitely favorable. But, I mean, the Cardinals game, the Steelers game, uh, the game versus the Patriots, and the game versus the Dolphins, those are all going to be hard games for them. So, I mean... Uh, Let's see here. So them going ten and six, eleven five is looking very probable right now, if you ask me. No, I agree, and also too, I agree with your take because I was looking at the Patriots schedule after last night's game. Um, there's the fan in me that's going, "We're going to go ten and six, but then there's the realist in me saying, "Best case scenario is probably going to be eight and eight or seven and nine." Um, that's for New England, but for Buffalo, like I'm looking at it, like Arizona can go either way. I think LA they'll end up winning. I think they'll beat the Niners. I think the Steelers will be a loss just because in the primetime lights, the two games Josh Allen's had where he said the stand alone this year is where he lost, which was against the Titans on that Tuesday night game. And then the uh, uh, interesting Friday, Monday night at 5 o'clock week six game against the Chiefs. Um, so I think the Steelers is a loss. Broncos, I think, could shock and maybe, maybe – just because they do have guys like Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon, and the Bills' run defense is very suspect. And then the Patriots game and the Dolphins game will be tough. So, yeah, out of there, you know what? I I think 11-5 and five is where this team's going to finish. Yeah, and I mean, that, that makes the most sense. Um, it really just depends on how they come out and play against these tougher teams. And I mean, they could always end up losing a game to the Broncos, like you said, and just never really know... Uh, quite how it will go down in the end um but yeah i mean I, I like the bills mainly because i have josh allen and dynasty so i'm kind of biased there so uh i have an ulterior motive for that um granted great dynasty quarterback i would just never uh never recommend you to watch his game sometimes because sometimes they just look really bad but this year he's been pretty good um, when he's not playing great defense, granted, um, and when he's playing a defense that's suspect like the Seahawks defense, he goes up there and just has a great game. I mean, 31 of 38 for 415 yards and three touchdowns, he just went off. And I think them adding Stephon Diggs this year has done wonders for this guy because for the longest time he was just leaning on John Brown. And John Brown and Stephon Diggs, they're kind of a similar, kind of, kind of a skill set. Um wide receiver they're, they're both really good at uh route running and they're both pretty quick and can get down the field and that really goes into josh allen's big arm and helps uh they, they definitely uh complement each other very well was what i was trying to say there but i mean j- just a massive pickup for them and i mean it's it's worked out really well for them um in the long run oh no it has for sure um when i look at buffalo though it's just the only thing i see is like Look, this Sunday was a game that I just didn't think they'd win because, like, look, you have a big opponent coming to town. You have the – what was I going to say? The um, 
Seattle Seahawks, this is a game where, look, if you want to put your stamp in the league and solidify yourself, I'm not ready yet to call them a Super Bowl contender just because, obviously, I'd still put Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Kansas City ahead of them. But at the same time, too, they're knocking right on that door. Like, I think if they can just adjust a few things defensively, but my biggest worry for them is, though, uh, and I did have my, I actually don't know if you knew this or not, but I had uh, from the Buffalo Fanatics Network, I had, his name's Joe, him and I talked about a month ago about this team, and he's worried about losing Brian Dayball as a head coach this year. He's our offensive coordinator right now. Because uh-huh. for all you know, like, there's this offseason is going to be a very interesting head coaching carousel. Oh, yeah, for sure. It should be interesting to see how everything shakes out uh, across the league and where people end up going. Um, I mean, the Jets are definitely... I mean, if they're not out there looking for somebody, I don't know what to think if they keep Adam Gase. Uh, they, they just can't. It can't happen. And I'm sure the Lions are going to be looking for someone. Um, just just to name two teams off the top of my head. That should be interesting to see what ends up happening. But all in all, you know what? This was a game that they needed to win. I think coming off that emo- – also, do I pick them because I felt like coming off that emotional win against the Patriots, they kind of like – you know when teams have like a really emotional win, but then the next week they kind of like not lay an egg, but they kind of like lose their footing. Uh-huh. Like it's happened in Miami a bunch, where Miami's beaten New England, and then they'll like. I remember this happened a few. Like they need to win this game to keep the playoffs hope alive, and they lose. So, Big Rod and I actually talked about this a few weeks ago, and I just felt like this was a game where Buffalo was set up to lose, and you know what? They proved me wrong, and they look fantastic. But also too. Uh, I gotta talk about this quickly because I don't know if you know about this or not, but the uh, Buffalo Bills right now, their fans have come along to uh, raise money for a local children's hospital in Buffalo because uh, what's it called? Josh Allen's grandmother passed away Saturday night, and I think they've raised like over like the the amount's insane. I'm trying to find it right now, but oh, right here. Um, it's for the uh, it's called. Oshi Children's Hospital in Buffalo. Uh, on the hospital's, uh, it's their third birthday today. Um, in memory of his grandmother, Bill's Mafia has donated over $200,000 support the cause. So if you want to do that, just go to uh, K, uh, kaidahealth.org to donate money today. I believe they're asking for $17 is the appropriate amount that's being donated. So... If you're in the giving mood, that's just one thing I wanted to mention quickly uh, because that's honestly uh, a remarkable thing to do because you do hear a lot of these like sentimental stories as well when someone does play well after someone's death, uh, even as a Colts family member. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I got to shout out Bill's fans for that. They always uh, – there's a couple of stories where they end up doing that. I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, maybe two years ago, um, I remember they uh, donated a lot of money to Andy Dalton's foundation because uh, – they had, he uh, pretty much helped the Bills get into the playoffs with the win that he had. Uh, I forget what team they ended up beating that day, but, I mean, the Bills fans went out and donated to his charity for helping them in their playoff drought. And, I mean, the Bills fans are very passionate about their team, and uh, they definitely go out and do some good stuff with uh, some of these donations that they get in the news for. So uh, it's very commendable. Um, I think it, yeah, I think it was the Ravens, the uh, Bengals beat that day. Cause I remember watching that because it was just a, it was a crazy series of events. But then they had an absolute stinker of a playoff game. But no, even though 
I have my beefs with them just because obviously they're a rival team. You have to respect Bills Mafia for doing stuff like this and coming up big and uh, emptying their pockets. Um, just also looking back at the schedule too, like Denver Atlanta, like meh or not meh, but like it was a it was an alright game. Denver didn't look that good. Uh, Houston Jacksonville was interesting, but at the end of the day, both teams suck. Uh, one game I want to talk about here, I'm just looking right now at is Carolina versus Kansas City and. I picked the Chiefs. I bet. I, so I bet. I bet four games this week for spreads. I bet that the Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers were going to cover fifteen, and also I bet that the Chiefs were going to cover eleven and a half. Both didn't come true. No, I mean uh, it didn't. Um, the The Panthers played really good football. I was kind of scared they're about to beat the the freaking Chiefs there for a minute. I mean, Christian McCaffrey coming back was huge. I mean. This guy's one of the best running backs in the NFL for a reason, and unfortunately, it seems like he got hurt again. I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't think it's a major injury. Uh, I think he hurt his shoulder, um, but I don't. I don't. I don't think it's going to be something that's going to saddle on him for a very long time, maybe a week at most. Um, but he's definitely the guy out there that just helps this offense go. And I mean, Mike Davis, he had some good games uh, in Christian McCaffrey's absence, but you really cannot replace a guy like this. And it it means a lot to this team for sure having him on the field. Um, and but also too, uh, Matt. One thing I want to list off to you, and also too for anyone who, if I'm cutting up your team, I'm not saying that. It's just like, look, your game's not that much to talk about. But I'm in a few fantasy leagues, and I gotta tell you the roster. I got my ass whooped in this league, 208 uh, 111. Do you want to hear who I was playing against? Um, I mean Christian McCaffrey's probably on the team. His running backs are Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, Dalvin Cook's been amazing this year. That man certified beast mode this year. I remember watching him coming out of Florida State and thinking, like, yeah, this guy could be something. And it wasn't even like I didn't really watch much college football when he was still in school, but he – I was watching – it was this weird documentary that I found through um, just I had like an online streaming service, uh, a, a legal one for those of you asking. And – I remember seeing this guy, and I'm like, this guy's got potential to be a good running back. It's just, unfortunately, his rookie year he tore his ACL, and then ever since he's been dealing with injury stuff. So we'll see, but yeah, that's just one thing I want to list off to you. And by the way, the quarterback was Josh Allen, and the other receiver was Tyreek Hill. But I feel like how you are with the Razorbacks this year is what the Carolina Panthers are. You know what? Their fans are probably happy. Like, I know they're 3-6 and six right now, but I think they're doing better, and they're in a lot more games than people thought they would be. Uh, who? I'm sorry. I kind of blanked out there for a uh, second. Carolina. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, their, their head coach has come through. Joe Brady is an amazing offensive coordinator, to his credit. Um, that man had LSU looking amazing last year. And uh, them, them, them picking him up and having them on uh, his team and having an offensive scheme that Teddy Bridgewater is familiar with um, has definitely helped a lot, I think. And uh, it's it's sped up the process of uh, things getting better. Um, and, I mean, look out for this guy to possibly be a head coach at some point if uh, the trajectory keeps going this way. Um, but to also Matt Rule's credit, he's also been really good um, as well. Um, a, a big part of uh, any football team is who you have as your coach. 
And a lot of people get stuck on, oh, well, this player busted. This player's not playing good. Well, I mean, sometimes they get into a really bad fit, and, I mean, they might have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have a good head coach uh, utilizing your talents, it's just not going to work well. And, and it looks like the Panthers might have that with Matt Rowland, however long Joe Brady stays there as their offensive coordinator. Um, and, I mean, to, to, to Matt Rule's credit, he brought on Robbie Anderson, who – I've said before that I didn't think that it was going to amount to anything, but uh, he coached him back in college, and he has him looking as one of the top receivers in the NFL, which is crazy to think about. And Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, I I love that guy. Um, It sucks that he went to a division opponent. That's the thing I just hate about it the most because uh, I just don't want to root against the guy. Um, But I'm glad he's having success. You know, the one thing I'm going to say right now with uh, the Panthers is I honestly wouldn't be shocked if Joe Brady's a head coach within the next couple of years because, look, you're going to have these teams who are looking for offensive geniuses to come in and run your team. So we all talk about, yes, like Eric Bieniemy, Brian Dayball. Man, Joe Brady's making his claim to be a head coach in the NFL. But, no, I agree with you. Matt Rule is like a coach's coach. Um for those of you wondering, like he obviously he went to Temple, he went to Baylor, two programs that were struggling. Baylor almost won the Big Twelve last year, which I know isn't really the hardest thing to do. Which not knocking on the Big Twelve, just saying that a lot of the teams there don't know how to play uh, defense. But yeah, uh, just one quick example, because and I know I'm going off topic, but I do this a lot. I remember last year it was Oklahoma LSU. My mom asked me. Oh, does Oklahoma have a chance? And I said, no. Big 12 can't play defense. What happened? LSU put up like 60. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, granted, they they ran into a historically amazing offense. Um, So there there just was no stopping that LSU offense last year. So to to their credit, um, I know their defensive prowess isn't that great. But uh, that, that LSU offense was just... Playing on easy mode. Exactly. Um, the only uh, the um, you know what on the topic of head coaches though, I, I'm gonna give and also to one thing I'm gonna say because I'm not gonna include Gase in this list because he's probably gonna be fired. But for those of you asking, will Gase be fired right now because it's their bye week? No. And for those of you going, oh, but he's so bad. Your next option is Greg Williams. And also, to one thing I didn't learn, I learned today because uh, Rich Eisen was on Toronto radio today. Uh, as I was listening to him on my drive home, he said that the ownership group for the Giants, the Johnson family, has never fired a coach in season. So I think they're just going to ride it out, and then that week seventeen they play the Patriots again. They're going to call him into the office and say, "Thanks for your two years of service. Now get the hell out." Yeah, I mean. Uh... It could be contributing to the tank, too. And, I mean, I guess you have an ownership that just does not want to just fire a coach midseason because they don't want to have the hectic uh, change of pace uh, so and turn around so quickly in the season. Um, I guess that makes sense as far as just the tank strategy to it. I mean, you got to commend it if that's what it is at the end of the day. Um but you got to wonder, if they get that first pick and uh, Trevor Lawrence is sitting there, does Trevor Lawrence even want to go to the Jets? Would he just decide to be like, hey, I'm just going to go back to Clemson again? 
but uh, you just never know how it's going to work out. It definitely be an inter- interesting to see yeah, what the Jets uh, decide to do. It's going to be very honestly. It's going to be very interesting with the Jets because look, if Trevor Lawrence doesn't want to get out, you still have Sam Darnold. Obviously, with the rookie scale contracts, it's very easy to get out. But um, man, they have an interesting offseason ahead of them too. Because even if they get, if they don't get the Darnold, if they, and I was about to say the Darnold pick, if they don't end up getting the first overall pick for some reason, that's not an attractive job to go to. But if they do get that first overall pick, you're going to have a lot of coaches that are going to be going like, hey, I want to coach this team. Otherwise, they're going to end up with, like, fucking Dan Quinn coaching that roster. And, no, that's not a shot at the Falcons. It's just an easy one to take. It's like, who's a bad head coach that they can hire? Like, hell, um, what was the guy's name? You're going to get, like, Ben McAdoo coaching the Jets. Like, he already ruined the Giants. Like, why not go ruin the New York Jets? Um... But no, I actually want to play a game with you right now, Matt, just because I'm thinking about other topics to talk about. Um, uh-huh. I'm going to list you f- a few head coaches, and I want you to tell me w- if you think their job security is in jeopardy or not. Does that okay. sound, like, sound like a plan? Sure. The first one is Matt Patricia in Detroit. Oh, yeah, he's uh, definitely on the hot seat. Uh, he was a hotly contested coach, too be on the hot seat going into it and if the fans just uh keep at this middling pace uh i see him gone it's kind of like a one step forward two step back thing for the lions where i feel like hey they can have a good game or they can look like decent but then they'll have a game where they just it's like okay what's going on here yeah for sure i mean he's definitely one to uh definitely get canned uh just depends on how they finish the year he he's definitely probably coaching for his life right now i will say this though i do think that if they i think it's him and the general manager gone and i think it's a bit of a rebuild i think honestly strip it down i think matt stafford's gone after this year they'll find somewhere for him to go or they'll just uh or cut him I, I know everyone's saying, oh, he's such a good quarterback, and I'm saying, yeah, but you know what? If it's not working out, you, you can't just keep – basically, you can't put keep putting lipstick on a pig because that's a lot. It's like now, right now, let's be real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at some point, you got to cut your losses and get what you can for your current assets and go out there and have something to do. And if I'm not mistaken, I feel like most of their offensive weapons, like Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones uh, – I feel like they're free agents next year. If I'm not mistaken, I might be mistaken, but uh, I feel like there could be a changing of the guard for sure there uh, for the Lions. I'm going to look that up right now because I'm honestly curious to see what his contract situation is. Um, Kenny Galladay, who's actually out right now, uh, and even though it's Tuesday night, i got to mention it, Mac alumni. Uh, let's see right here. Not seeing any. Oh yeah, he signed a four-year deal. So yeah, he's up at the end of the season. Okay, so I a, guess that's true. Yeah, he signed a four-year deal in uh, 2017. So that would be the end of this year. Um, but even a lot of their guys too. Like I'm just looking right here. Like for example, Adrian Peterson on a one-year. Uh, Reggie Ragland one year. Geronimo Allison one year. Uh, Desmond Trufant was a two-year deal, but who knows. Uh, Danny Shelton was a two-year deal, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, so there's just chances where a lot of these guys can get, like, can be gone at the end of the year. 
I'm just gonna. I'm just trying to get to Marvin Jones right now just to see what his status is. Even though Marvin Jones is only 30, I thought he was younger than that. Uh, yeah, Marvin Jones signed a five-year, $40 million contract in 2016. So 16, 17, 18, 19. This is the fifth year of that contract. So I think Marvin Jones at the end of the season is. Uh, I Marvin Jones is. Um, yeah, like you're right. So I think too they're gonna walk, and then we'll see. They can go after like a Jamar Chase or something in the draft, but we can ultimately see. Uh, the next one's pretty... Actually, the next one's an interesting one. Anthony Lynn, LA Chargers. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going out and having all these close games, and I mean, I feel so bad for Chargers fans because just every week it's something. And I thought they won this game this week, but turns out they didn't after they reviewed the play, and it, it just sucks, but... At the end of the day, that tells you what kind of team you are if you're going out and losing these close games. And I think coaching has a big aspect of it. So I could definitely see Anthony Lynn gone. And I could see them trying to find a, some someone to pair up with Justin Herbert to hopefully build a dynamic offense for the future. Oh, no, I agree with that, too. Um, I think it's just, look, Lynn's a good head coach. I just think, look, he's going to find an OC job somewhere if he does get let go from this. Like, it's not like he's he, – he, he probably will get another chance. It's just, look, when you have only the one playoff appearance in his four seasons and the rest of those two have been – even last year, too, they were 5-11, and 11, but they were a very suspect 5-11. What I say by that is they're, if a few of those games go their way, they're easily a 500-plus team. Oh, yeah. The same thing this year, too. Uh, the next one is a little obvious in the direction I think you're going to go, but you know what? I'm going to end this because I, um, if you guys, Matt, if you just give me one quick second, I got to add someone in here. That's right, folks. I'm going to add one person to the call. So let's get this person, uh, in here to see what's going on. See if he answers. Sorry, folks, for some dead air time. We're trying to figure stuff out, but Boom, there he is. We are... Ooh, uh, me, we'll be right back, folks. <laughs> he doesn't have audio. Oh, wait. There's his audio. Wait, you there? Yeah, was, I, I always had audio. I was just not talking. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I couldn't hear you. I was about to end it. I was like, um, can't hear you. But anyway, folks, make the show even bigger. Matt Beast and Big Rat on the same podcast. Like... This is, I had to go all out for this because we were talking about this earlier, but all three of us, it's the first time I can say it in a while, but all three of us, it's victory week, victory Monday, victory Monday and Tuesday for the three of us, but I'm actually watching, rewatching the game of the NFL Network right now. Um, sorry, Matt, but I'm going to come over to Big Rat for a second. Big Rat, how'd you feel about that big 12-ish performance from both Miami and Arizona Sunday afternoon? It was spectacular. It was it was my favorite game of the year for all the obvious reasons. Uh, it was it was such a joy to watch. It was it was truly truly great. I'm a little annoyed that this defense kind of you know mobile quarterbacks like beat up most defenses in the NFL, but they shouldn't beat them up to the point where you're giving up 30 points every single time like they did against Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Kyle Murray, and even Dave Cam, one of Cam's best games. So. As, like, looking forward, I'm a little annoyed by that. I want that to be rectified a bit. Um, but, obviously, the offense is out. And I'm extremely happy with that, too. 
I'm, I'm glad to hear because even too, there's the one play. I think it was like late in the third quarter. It was in the fourth quarter where Tua like evaded two tacklers, made two guys miss, and then got the first down. As soon as that happened, I'm like, I think this team's winning this game. Yeah, and uh, there was one where he caused Byron Mer- no Buda Baker to totally whiff on a tackle yeah, late early in the early in the fourth, and then there was another where he evaded two tacklers. And even Andrew Catalan, commentating on the game, couldn't help but just yell out, Tua! As he was running for the first down. It was it was a joy. And that drive not only helped us win the game, it also kind of solidified the Dolphins fans. You know, he can... It's not just that he can play well. He can, like, carry us, because the defense was getting destroyed. They didn't have any running backs. They lost Preston Williams the entire second half of the game. Tua, like, can put the team on his back and carry them to a win on the road. That's really good to see this early in his career. I, for all the people who were thinking, oh, hey, it was after the one L.A. game, if the Dolphins will use their top ten pick, and yeah, I know they're five and three, but guess what? You have a dumb GM in Houston who's now fired who gave Miami, uh, who now made that Miami trade into a top ten pick for like Kenny Stills and Laramie Tunzel, so Miami fans got to be pretty happy about that. Um, yes. We'll talk about Miami more in a little bit, but Big Rat, another game. I, I got to get your opinion on this, man. Sunday night football. Because we have one guy in this chat right now who is just ab- above and beyond happy about that game. But what did you think about the 38-3 ass-whooping the Saints laid on the Buccaneers? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good day for Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I, I, thought, I had thought for, I don't know how much I said it when I was on the show last week, but I, people have been kind of sleeping on the Saints a little bit because they were kind of winning all these close games against mediocre teams, but they were doing all of it without Michael Thomas. And a few of those games without Manny Sanders. Like, it was just, they were just winning every single week pretty consistently. While this Bucks team, they had had their lumps. They lost to the Nick Foles Bears, and I think we're now starting to realize when you lose to a Nick Foles Bears team, that's not a good thing, given, given how they've been the last month. Uh, and they struggled to beat the Giants. They were lucky to win that game. They were, they were down by 17 to the Chargers. There were some warning signs that I think people were kind of ignoring um, with the Bucks, especially their offense. Their offense is 18th in yards per play, and that was before that Saints game. Before that Saints game, they were 18th in yards per play. Brady had thrown for less than 7 yards per attempt in like 5 of his 8 starts, now 6 of his 9 starts, including the second Saints game. There were some warning signs that I think people were ignoring, all because they beat up on the Packers. Um, which was a nice win, but it shouldn't have outweighed everything else. And people didn't give the Saints enough respect for beating them up in week one. And, yeah, I mean, I thought the Saints were the better team. I thought they were going to win. I did not, I, look, I did not predict that. I did not, no one did, 38-3. Like, no, I, I, won't, I won't get ridiculous here. But, yeah, I mean, I think the Saints showed that they're the best team in that division. I think that's indisputably true, whether they win this division or not. They are better than the Bucs, like, straight up. It's impossible to say otherwise. And I think they put themselves in position, and I know Matt's starting to think about this, like kind of like a Peyton Manning romantic 2015 season. And granted, Peyton was playing worse than Breeze is right now. Breeze is still playing solid. Like, that, that, the romantic, like there's the whispers that this could be his last year, and, you know, they're, they're, they're winning these games against the elite NFC teams, except for when they lost to Green Bay. I mean, you can start to talk yourselves into them getting the one seed, getting a bye, and maybe this finally being the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I was talking about it earlier. 
uh, we were going over the Saints' chances, and I mean, our biggest adversaries are going to be the Seahawks, who uh, have a very questionable defense. And you're not going to win championships if uh, your quarterback just has to do everything. I mean, Russ was trying to do everything in this Bills game, he ended up having four turnovers, so that kind of screwed him there. And the Packers team, I mean. <sighs> When it comes to the playoffs, they just hadn't got done. And, I mean, I can say the same thing for my team, the Saints. But uh, if, if they somehow meet in, like, the NFC Championship game, I mean, one of those has to uh, one of those has to be in there. And I'm hoping the, magical, uh, the magic of the possible retirement of Drew Brees, I mean, he was really close to retiring last season. Uh, he had to go take a spirit walk on a mountain to decide that he's going to come back, apparently. And, I mean, even Russell Wilson gave up his Pro Bowl starting job to Drew Brees. And, I mean, I know that's not a big deal as the Pro Bowl and all that, but I mean, uh, it definitely shows that it was very real, and I mean, there was even talk of Tom Brady possibly even going to the Saints if uh, Breeze didn't come back, but he's back here, and uh, I think this team is looking like it's all in right now, as long as they can stay healthy, and I mean, the talent's there, they just had to show up, and they finally showed up in this Bucks game, and uh, they actually rose to the occasion, and if they can just build upon this, um, the close wins will be like, hey, we could have lost those games. It could have been in a really worse position than what we were. And uh, at the end of the day, sometimes you just got to go out and get the win no matter how ugly it is and live to fight another day. And you can eventually put all the pieces together uh, down the road. And if, if, I, if I may also, like very, very, sorry to interrupt, Griff, uh, just like the three things I, w- I was really happy with. Um, well, one also, as you know, like there was no Michael Thomas in that Packers game. So mm-hmm. there Something there, obviously you can look forward to it in the match. Uh, it could be in the rematch could be in the Superdome. I know the first one was also in the Superdome, but in the playoff atmosphere with Michael Thomas, you know, like that could be very helpful. And I just want to say, as a Miami fan, not just as a Miami Dolphins fan, but as a Miami Heat fan, like for the for the basketball team, you know, one thing that they get so much credit for is being so versatile and playing so positionless, where they're so well coached and they can just kind of deploy all their players in a really good offensive way, in a very different way. All, their entire roster, there's a different way that they can all succeed. Whether it's three-point shooting, their nice mid-range game, post-up, they got bigs who can shoot, they got guards who can get to the rim. Like They kind of have it all. And like when I watched that Saints game on Sunday, it just kind of reminded me of that in a very different way, where you know the completing passes to 11 different receivers, Jason Hill having maybe his most pronounced role in a big game so far. It's just like, like they just have, they're so versatile. They have so many different guys that can score, and they're they're so well coached that they have so many different guys that can get a first down or can get a big play. Whether it's you play two quarterbacks, you know, pretty consistently, or all the running backs, all the receivers, the tight end, like getting Troutman involved, who I really liked coming out. I drafted him in the leagues. Like it's just so cool, like how deep they are. They have like eleven different guys that can score a touchdown every given Sunday. It's just it's fascinating to me, and I think that's. I think that's a really good thing to have. That's how you can survive six weeks without Michael Thomas. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really speaks to uh, Sean Payton. And I think when he gets in a situation where he's down uh, Emmanuel Sanders, down to Michael Thomas, uh, and it was evident in the Panthers game, um, Marquez Callaway, he had a huge game. This undrafted rookie just go out there and just goes off. And, I mean, the Saints have a way of finding these just gems in later rounds and undrafted free agents and making them look like superstars. And uh, when you have a great quarterback, it's it's a lot easier to pull off something like that. 
And, I mean, I know Drew Brees in the twilight of his career, but, I mean, uh, he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league still. And I know he does have, like, all the air yards and airing it all out, but, I mean, just give him a guy who can get open, and uh, it's a wrap. You, you, you nailed that on the head, but I want to shift focus now because I feel like Big Rat's going to love to talk about this, but, man... Bruce Arians is not... I don't see what people see in him. I honestly... I'm going to have a hot take right now. I don't think he's that good of a head coach. I Like him going out there and constantly blaming Brady when honestly, him, Leftwich, and Bulls collectively coached a awful, awful game Sunday night. That's just me though. I'm trying to figure... I, I can come up with a... I can, I can meet you at like a middle ground. So... I thought he was genuinely a good coach with the Cardinals. Like, I just think he turned around that culture. Like, people forget the Cardinals, you know, after Kurt Warner left, they had this four-year lull where, like, they couldn't score. Like, they had all these bad quarterbacks, and they couldn't do anything. And Bruce Arians came in. They became a tough team. They won 10 games his first year, didn't make the playoffs. They won, I think, 11 or 12 games the next year and would have been the one seed if Palmer didn't tear his ACL. And then the next year, they make the title game. Like, I thought they were genuinely well-coached and very tough. I think since he came back from retirement, I don't know what it is. Like, the, the podcast I listen to a lot around the NFL podcast, Chris Wessling speculated, just by, like, reading his his interviews and his press clippings, he's kind of viewing it as kind of just like, he didn't like retirement, he wanted to come back, he wants to get his friends opportunities, like Byron Leftwich, someone he you know, coached in Pittsburgh and is known for a long time, Todd Bowles is defensive coordinator in Arizona, and all these other, his, his staff is very diverse, and, like, I think he, like, just really wanted, like, a lot of these guys to get pronounced roles, to get opportunities, maybe get promoted and get head coaching job or coordinator jobs elsewhere. It seems like his mentality isn't really the same, and I think this, I mean, this is also, as I'm sure you can imagine, Griff, this is probably, like, a really miserable team to coach. Like, just, the expectations are so high, and, like, there's no time. Like, they have to win now every single week. That whenever they lose, it's probably just, like, a huge gut punch. And it just sounds like he's kind of exhausted, you know, like, with the expectations of this team. And I, I agree with you. He shouldn't have thrown Brady under the bus the way he did. I think he's just frustrated. He's frustrated coaching this team. It's not – I don't think he quite has that same mojo that he had a few years ago since he's coming out of retirement. So I'll kind of meet you halfway. I do think he was – actually good as a head coach in Arizona, but something's not right now. And it's led to a lot of mistakes. And a lot of times the team comes out flat. A lot of times he's saying the wrong things to pressers. So, yeah, there's definitely something to that. Um, I'd like to add that, uh, I mean, coaching a team like the Bucks, they have uh, all these personalities on the team, and they just added a huge one in Antonio Brown. And, I mean, granted, this is probably the best situation for him to be in because him and Tom Brady seem to really click together. Um, but, I mean, having to coach Brady, I'm sure that helped him because Brady, obviously, uh, he uh, he has a certain mentality about him for sure. He kind of does things his own way. And adding Gronk in there to the mix, Mike Evans is definitely a temperamental guy. Um, and, like I said, adding Antonio Brown in there is definitely something. And, uh if they could ever figure out, I know O.J. Howard got hurt, um, trying to get the tight end stuff together. I feel like Bruce Arians is just never, his strength has never been relying on the tight ends. And if he could ever kind of unlock that secret, 
Um, I mean, that'd probably help. And I mean, losing OJ Howard does hurt that a lot, but uh, I think that's something that he could focus on and maybe help a lot. But I mean, uh, Big Rat with the expectation level, I mean, I'm sure it's very tiring to go in there and come into a team and team that's not really quite your own wasn't built as your own and you didn't build it from the ground up uh, i'm sure it's uh very hard with all the expectation levels yeah yeah now i'll send it back to you in a second like this is different like with arizona like they were kind of rebuilding like they were he took them over when they were like a really bad team you know when they were like four to five wins they didn't have a quarterback yet they didn't have like, aside from Fitz, they were still kind of, like, developing their new players. They were developing John Brown. They were developing Honey Badger. They were developing Michael Floyd. David Johnson was there when Bruce Arians drafted him. Like, they were kind of, he kind of was able to grow with them, which, to Matt's point, even though they started winning right away, he kind of was able to get guys and grow with them and go on a journey with them, rather than all these guys. I mean, I don't want to say they're a team of mercenaries, but it does feel like that sometimes. Like, yeah, I, I tell you guys, as a huge Dominican Sue fan, like, hearing a lot of his interviews in Miami, like, that's that's just his mentality. Like, just come in, take a check, move on, go to the next team, they'll give him a check. doesn't mean he's a bad guy or a bad teammate. It's just that's kind of his role, you know? And, like, him coming in, AB coming in, and Gronk coming in as Brady's guys. Managing all this can be hard. And I just like, to Matt's point, if you guys remember a few weeks back when Gronk was asked about not getting any targets... And he said, like, jokingly, I'm here to block AB. And one of one of the Bucks beat writers for The Athletic said, uh, I mean, as, as you can probably infer, this was kind of his passive-aggressive way of saying, throw me the ball more. He wasn't actually, like, pumped to block every play. He did want the ball. And that was kind of his, like, little cute way of saying it. And, you know, they bring in AB, and the Bucks writers ask Bruce Arians, Godwin's and Evan going to be happy, you know, losing some of their targets and losing some of their role. And Arians, like, wiped it off, he's like, eh, it won't be a big deal. And when Mike Evans, you know, like when, when Marcus Latim, uh, when Marshawn Lattimore is like bragging about like shutting down Mike Evans again on Twitter, I think he said like when he was carding Mike Evans, Evans only had two tar- two targets and no catches. And I think Bruce Arians like with, because Brady, in my opinion, that game was forcing the ball to AB a lot, uh, more so than he should have. And it was forcing, it was definitely on plays where maybe it wasn't the best design for the coverage for the ball to go that way. I think Bruce Arians needs to make sure Michael Thomas doesn't get the solution. Michael Thomas doesn't feel like he's losing his role. So he tries to build up Michael Thomas, and in doing so, ends up knocking Brady. It's just a complicated puzzle where, like, you're trying uh, helping one guy almost comes at the cost of hurting another and balancing that all. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's probably a really, um, I, it's probably the hardest team this year, honestly, like, of anyone. Um, Okay, I'm going to take back what I said. Like, I think right now he's not the best just because, look, there is a lot of pressure and expectation where, like, yeah, you're right. I just, I forgot about that year, actually, where they were 10-6 and six and they missed the playoffs. Um, even, too, they were in, I believe uh, he was there for the early years of Patrick Peterson's career as well at corner um, in Arizona. But even, too, like, if you remember when Bruce Arians went in and coached uh, the Colts when Pagano got sick, wasn't a lot on him, and he went, I think, 6-1 and one or 6-2 and two during the eight games that Pagano missed because of uh, leukemia. But, no, like I think in this situation, it's not so much that he's bad. It's just, look, it's kind of like, I think it's like, it's like a couple who's always bickering at one another. It's like, look, someone's always going to say the wrong things because Bruce obviously is the kind of guy who calls people out in the media where... Brady and Gronk come from a culture where you're chewed out behind the scenes. You never hear about it publicly. So now that it's heard about publicly, 
I think some guys have to take it with a grain of salt, but yeah, there is a lot of passive aggressiveness. The only thing with Tampa that like I noticed from this game off the get-go was they made absolutely no game in a, no in-game adjustments on uh, Sunday night, and the team looked defeated heading into the locker room. I said this like an hour ago with Matt, but like now that Big Rat's here, and I know Big Rat loves to um, talk about his uh, most favorite quarterback to talk about in the NFL, Tom Brady. You got to do those adjustments. So, like, for when people are wondering why are the Patriots able to, were they able to pull off all these comebacks? Like, twenty-four nothing against Denver Sunday Night Football, like I think twenty thirteen, and the most notable twenty-eight to three, because Bill Belichick is the master of making in-game adjustments, is which something that Byron Leftwich just didn't do. They kind of just were stagnant and kind of accepted their fate at halftime. What's concerning is at times, like with the, because the excuse you can make if you're a Bucks fan is like. Okay, well, they're trying to incorporate AB. That's a big change to the offense. So they kind of got to get that worked out. My thing is, just, I mean, you don't have time for that anymore. Especially that game. Like, you don't get to, I think Bruce Arian said after the game, the players were really pissed. They wanted their revenge. And he just told them, it's too late. You don't play them again. You got to just want the next opponent. It is what it is. Like, I don't think they really, like, that, that was not the game to experiment. To let's see, let's get Brown involved. That was the game where you needed to do your A game and you needed to make changes and you needed to recognize the urgency of the moment. So, like, while I agree with Bucks fans, like, you know, we all know the offense isn't always going to be that bad. Like, this was their biggest game of the year. They couldn't afford to take chances. They couldn't afford to figure things out during this game. They needed this one. They needed it more than the Saints did because the Saints have already beat them once. And so I think just that. That lack of urgency, almost, and then just like, like you said, they, they, they kind of gave up. Like they just kind of like put their heads down and were just like, ah. Well, I, I think after they got stopped on the goal line, I think that's when they were just like, yeah, this is this is it. This just isn't going to happen today. And I like that's just not enough. Like you know this very well, Griff. Everyone brings onto on what's onto Cincinnati, the Kansas City Monday Night game, right? Where they were blown out. But Belichick, I believe, in the Do Your Job interview, always said that what gave him encouragement for the rest of the season was they fought hard in the second half, even when it was a blowout. And, you know, they orchestrated a touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, even after they were in their ass kick. And he liked that energy that they showed, and he thought that was something they could build on, even though they lost 41-14. to But there was none of that in this game. Like, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's, it just reminds you, like, to your point, the people who made those comparisons, Sunday Night Football 24-0, 28-3, this is not the same organization. It's the same quarterback, but it's not the same organization. It's not the same coach. It's just, it's not going to follow the same result. No, it's not. And uh, I want to get both of you guys back in here, because actually, Big Rat, right before you came on, Matt and I were playing a game of, or I was just throwing out names to him of coaches who I think would be on the hot seat, and the two we said so far were... Um, Patricia and Lynn, who we both think are probably going to get gone at the end of the year. The next one, and I'm going to have Matt start this first because uh, he was here first, and I'll have your thoughts on him. And Matt, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here, but I got a train. <laughs> Pardon me? Yeah, just on mute for me. Okay. Um, the one coach I was going to say right before Big Rat came on was Doug Marone. Where do we think he stands for the Jaguars going forward? Yeah, I think he's gone. I think he, I think he was almost fired last year, anyways. 
I think I I just like maybe they made like some behind the scenes deal of like hey like you know if you can pull, pull it out like if you if you can make them more competitive and tougher than you may think then we'll give you another year. Um, but the I just I just don't see how he comes back. I think they're going to start fresh, get a new quarterback, get a new coach, like completely rip it from the studs from the ground up, and. I don't see how you can stand to your fan base going into year five with how bad the last three years have been. Because the last three years, they've been among the worst teams in the league. It's nice to make the conference top game. It's not nothing. Like, it's nice to do that. Um, but there comes a point where three straight bad years are just too much to overcome. So, yeah, I, I would say so. Okay. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, this team, they have a, a really good young core. Uh, so whatever quarterback comes in, it's going to be looking at some pretty good weapons with DJ Chark. Chenault has been really consistent so far, which has been a nice, uh, nice surprise to see him already contributing so well. And, uh, I mean, James Robinson's emerged as well. If he continues to, uh, produce and stay this way even next year, um, who knows? But, uh, it, it'll be interesting if they go get a quarterback, like maybe a Fields and, see how uh, things meld together. Maybe they can go get an offensive-minded guy to pair with him, and uh, that'd be a very interesting combination there for sure to see what the Jaguars end up doing. And, I mean, they lost a lot of their pieces because I guess these players just don't want to be in Jacksonville, and uh, I guess that might speak to the front office. So I think some changes definitely need to be made. And I think the cons have been paying too much attention to all elite wrestling and need to pay more attention to their football team. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, just me having a little bit of fun there. Um, the one coach, obviously, we're not going to touch is Adam Gase because we kind of all know what's going on, what's going to happen there. Um, the next one I wanted to ask about, and either one of you can start with this, Matt Nagy. Yeah, I um, I can speak to this from personal experience because I will admit, like, I'm all this fan. I think I got Gase wrong. Um, and I think it's for the same reason that the Bears fans that defend Nagy are going to get Nagy wrong, too. I was really, like, Gase's first year, I've said this in the pod before, he went 10-6, and six, the Dolphins made the playoffs. They made the playoffs for a team that people thought would suck. And I can't say that enough. Dolphins fans, the NFL media, all said that 2016 Dolphins team would be terrible. All of them, across the board. And they made the playoffs. It really would be not that different than if Matt Rule and the Panthers made the playoffs this year. That would be the comparison. A team that everyone thought was going to be really bad ends up winning 10 games. And if Matt Rule were to do that, we would all give him a lot of credit, right? So I do the case for that year, but here's the problem. Like, Gase won a lot of games in Miami. The offense was always bad. And he was winning a lot of close games, and whenever he lost, he would get blown out. And I, I was, I kind of like would always defend him. Like, he keeps winning. Like, why is everyone so upset? But those underlying metrics, like, indicate that moving forward, you could eventually fall apart. And I think this is what I got wrong with Bill O'Brien, too. Bill O'Brien would win the division every year, and I was like, well, why does everybody complain he wins the division every year? But he won it in an unconvincing way. They would win a lot of close games. I believe in 2018, they won the division with a negative point differential on the year, like a negative 11 point differential, which is usually a red flag. And then eventually, you don't win these close games. You don't win. And then you're like Gates going 0-9 this year, or Bill O'Brien starting the year 0-4. And that's what I think with Nagy. He's won a lot of games. I think he's eighth in the NFL in wins over the last three years, which is impressive. No lie. It is. But the offense has been 
very bad, and that's his specialty. What gets you hired is what will get you fired. And for Bears fans who are still clinging on to him, I just think eventually that luck kind of runs out where you keep winning despite having a bad offense. And eventually you just kind of have this like 0-5, 0-6 stretch, and you get fired. Because when you, you can only continue winning games unconvincingly for so long before the Jenga piece gets removed and everything just kind of crumbles to the earth. So I don't know if he'll get fired. We'll see. It depends on what the organization does with Brian Pace and all that. But I think he's definitely a strong candidate. Yeah, uh, um, I would have to see how the rest of the season goes out. And I mean, the Bears' offense has been just looking god awful, um, to say the least. They can't score. Yeah, they just can't score. They can't. They just can't get it done. And I mean, I think this. I think this regime is kind of uh, slow to uh, move on. So I think, if anything, it'd probably be next year if he continues to uh, not show out in good ways. And, I mean, the offense looked good that that, that first year. I mean, Mr. Biscuit was looking pretty pretty good in the system. Uh, I mean, it just has not panned out past that season. And, I mean, I just don't really know what else I could do, honestly. I mean... Allen Robinson's kind of wasting his talent over there, which I feel bad for him because he is a great wide receiver and so underrated and just doesn't get the credit he deserves because of who he has throwing in the ball. It just it just doesn't it just doesn't work, man. And it's sad to see, but I think he's going to end up staying for another season, maybe midpoint uh, the next season if they start off really badly and their offense just continues to look like a stinker. Um, they might just use the excuse of, hey, maybe it's just not the right quarterback for the systems uh, with Nick Foles and Mr. Biscuit with Nick Foles, who has bounced around to multiple teams at this point, and Mitch, who's obviously looking like a failed project at this point. So maybe they try to get another quarterback and end up wasting his career, hopefully. Hopefully not. I don't I don't hope a guy wastes his career under a regime, but um, I, I could see that being the path to Matt Nagy being – at the end of the day um my thoughts on Nagy is I agree with Matt I think Nagy gets brought back for 2021 I think it's Ryan Pace who's on his way out the door this year just because look you have especially too when you see moves like and bringing it back but yes look and I know we're three and five but when Cam gets signed for that cheap and they basically had to give away I think a bit of capital to pick up Foles' expensive contract and also to the fact that not a lot of people remember this, but John Lynch fleeced them to move up a spot in the 2017 draft when we all knew all along in that draft uh, Lynch was going to get Solomon Thomas in that draft. It's just uh, Lynch kind of forced Pace's hand to move up and I believe San Francisco got went from the second pick to the third pick but then got like three additional picks on top of that and I think Chicago only got maybe one other pick apart from moving from third to second when they were going to get when they could have gotten their guy at uh, third overall anyway if they didn't move. So that's just one thing I want to point out is that I think if I had to say what GMs are on the hot seat, I think Ryan Pace is on his way out the door, but I do think Nagy is another year, and then the GM will have whoever is the new GM in power will have kind of like a feeler year, and then they'll decide whether hey if Nagy's our guy or not because a lot of the times the new GM comes in. A new head coach comes in, like, look at what happened with the Giants, where you had Dave Gettleman come in, and then Shermer was fired, and now Joe Judge is brought in, because that's Gettleman's guy. 
And uh, just to, to put a bow on this, they gave up a fourth-round pick for Nick Foles. I just looked it up. And for for Cam's prop, I mean, Cam has not been perfect. He's had some problems, but I think pretty clearly he's been better than Nick Foles this year. Nick Foles has been, I mean, I, this is kind of my bit when I come on your podcast, I bury Nick Foles, but he's been very, very bad. He's been, the Bears' offense has indisputably gotten worse since he came in. Like, against the Colts, they had three points until late in the fourth quarter. Against the Titans, they scored 17. Not that bad, right? That score of the game was 24-3 to with five minutes left in the fourth. Five minutes left in the fourth, it was 24-3. Titans. They just, they, they, only, they only scored three against the Rams. This is the NFL, man. Everyone's putting up 25 points these days. Like, they just, they can't score at all. And, uh, yeah, so for as bad as, I mean, Cam has had some bad games, but he's, he's definitely an upgrade. Oh, yeah, and imagine if Cam had, like, an Allenson. I mean, no disrespect to Jacoby Myers. He's been balling out lately. It was his but, birthday like, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, give give Cam Allen Robinson, and, I mean, how good would he be looking right now? That's fans would probably trade Jacoby Myers for Allen Robinson as much as they like the kid. Yeah, for sure. I got Big Rat. I, I know you and I never got to really talk about this besides you collapsing on the floor when Cam got that rushing touchdown with a minute left. Um. Some people were telling me, like, oh, hey, you shouldn't be too happy with that win. You know what? It was the ugliest win I'd seen the Patriots win in I don't know how long. And the one thing I'm going to say right now is Joe Flacco looked like 2012 Joe Flacco. Yep. But what the hell are you doing running a play-action bomb with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter when you're trying to put a bow on the on a, on a potential upset of a game? As soon as I saw that and the 12th man moment, I'm like... Okay, the Jets are back to being the Jets. I'm like, there's just silly errors. And also, too, when you look at if the Jets can fire Gase, um, I said this to Matt, I think I said, yeah, I think I said this before you came on. The Johnsons haven't fired a coach uh, midseason ever. They always wait till the end of the year. And also, too, if, if you want to fire Gase, um, your next best option is Greg Williams, which honestly, you know what, I'd rather stick with Gase than Greg Williams because Williams lost my respect after Bounty Gate win. Matt will probably know about this. He threw, like, I think Jonathan Vilma and someone else under the bus. Oh, yeah. by the league for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah they're, they're much better off with, I, 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 look, for all of Gase's problems, like, you can't put Kurt Williams the head coach. Like, that's just, I just think that'd be a disaster. So. Yeah. Oh, and also, too, I will say this as well, and because if you guys, if for any of you listening to this podcast, if you want to listen to my thoughts on the Patriots-Jets game from last night, Phil and I came on right after the game and gave a post-game analysis, but I will say this, that was Cam's, I said this last night, I'll say it again, that was Cam's best game since the Seattle game. Yeah, and I saved my fantasy week. Now, for those wondering, that's why I collapsed to the floor. I had Cam in fantasy, and I was down by like five points, and I only had Cam and no one else. And earlier in the game, um, Cam handed it off to Rex Burkhead on the goal line instead of him scoring himself, which tilted me off like no end. So to see Cam actually get the sneak in, like, it saved my week, and I collapsed to the floor. It was a joy. Um, but, but, yes, he, he looked great. He looked great. And, look, I mean, I know the Jets suck, but I said this last night on Twitter, like, it takes some toughness to to pull out a 13-point deficit in the quarter. I know the Jets suck, but it's still not easy. It's still a lot of pressure moment. It takes guts. So, good for him. Yeah. Um, and the only other thing I want to say right now, too, is like you said, Jacoby Myers had a great game. And also, too, the Patriots' defense played like shit, but you know what? They they made plays when it mattered with the J.C. Jackson interception and 
making them go three and out with less than two minutes to go to give them a chance to win the game in regulation. Um, the last thing I want to do, just because like we've been on here for a while, and I know Big Rat's only been on here for a little bit, but I gotta get, and I'm gonna say this before I go off air. The three of us have to do a full podcast sometime down the road. We're going to get a date, guys, because even though this is a little short sample size, ta- us three talking football, there's nothing better than that. Always down. Love to hear For it. sure. Um, Matt, you and I elaborated on it earlier, and because I don't know if I'll be recording, if an episode will be out before this game airs, I wanted to talk to you guys about the Colts and the Titans, and I'm either going to let one of you guys start with this, but I want to know you. What do you guys think is this game is going to be like, and who do you think is going to win this game Thursday night in a pretty big divisional showdown? Either one of you can take the floor first. Whoever wants to. Um, I, I'm going to take the Titans myself. I just don't believe in this Colts team. As I was talking about earlier, I don't know what they're doing with the run game. Jonathan Taylor seems like he's in the doghouse, even though he's been very disappointing um, to this point and deservedly so. Probably needs to sit and try and give Wilkins a try to try and boost up the offense. And I don't know. I'm just not trusting Phillip Rivers or really any of the passing game options on this offense. And while, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, he's very consistent. Um, Him, A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry have formed a really formidable uh, team. It it, kind of reminds me of a better version of the Texans. Uh, I've said that before when they were uh, a Matt Schaub Johnson and um, Arian Foster Foster team. Kind of reminds me of that, uh, just a better version of it to an extent. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I just don't see the Colts being really put up too many many points on the Titans, even though the Titans' D-line, you mentioned it earlier, has definitely had its deficiencies. And uh, man, I'm glad the Saints dodged that bullet with David Clown. He just uh, uh, a random offshoot there. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I just don't see the Colts being able to do enough. Um, I just don't put a lot of stock into their offense and the Titans. I I like them as the team. I really do. I really think they're a good team. And I just, I don't know. I don't even really see this game being that exciting, honestly. Um, if I had to put a, put a score on it, I'd probably say something like 24 Titans and the Colts at like maybe 10. Um, yeah, I mean, you got Hendrickson and Davenport and all these guys. You don't need Clowney anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You are you are like great against Tampa. Like well, one of the one of the good stories from the game. Uh, I, I'm with you largely. Um, I'll say for the Colts passing game. I mean, sadly, I've, I've been following the guy for a long time. It looks like Ty Hilton might be dust. Uh, Ty Hilton, for those that don't know, went by you, and um, that's actually. Florida International University is actually in Miami. It's actually in the heart of Miami, um, like right, right, like right in the Miami area, in Miami-Dade County. Um, it's right near my hometown. I mean, my, my house, actually. Uh, so uh, I've been following him for a long time, and he's been so much fun to watch in the league. He might, I mean, he just might not have it anymore. He gets hurt all the time, and when he was playing this year, he just, he wasn't, he wasn't that threat that they needed. They don't really have a big play on that team. I was a big Jonathan Taylor fan of Wisconsin. He destroyed my Hurricanes two straight years in a bowl game. And, like, absolutely destroyed them. Like, I've, I've always been a big fan of him. I thought he should have been in the... He should have had a shot at the Heisman last year. And he's been disappointing. It just goes to show that, you know, he's... There's no such thing as a sure thing. Because he was as close to a thing as I thought. He's huge. He runs a 4-3-9. He produced in college. He wasn't one of these athletic specimens who had no production. 
he produced, and he produced at a young age. He produced as a true freshman. I just like, what, what, what more do you want? He can do everything. And yet, for whatever reason, behind a good O-line, it's not working. I don't know why. Because show how weird football can be sometimes. If you want to give the Colts offense a semblance of hope, I would say Michael Pittman. Mm-hmm. We've seen all these rookie receivers, all of them, T. Higgins, Justin Jefferson, even Jerry Judy started popping last week, Chase Claypool, Ray Gore had a good game for the Eagles on Sunday night. We've seen all these, C.D. Lamb, obviously, before Dak got hurt. We've seen all these rookie receivers start to shine, and Michael Pittman, you know, played the first few games, went on IR for a long time, came back last week, got like a bunch of targets, but didn't really do a whole lot. You can maybe see him blossom, and if he blossoms, that could maybe be the thing that unlocks the passing game to the next level. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think that would be the thing to watch if they all of a sudden get better. That would be the reason, if I would guess. Uh, But I'm going to pick the Titans as well. Probably, I'll make it closer to you. I'll I'll do it like 21-14 kind of deal. I think the Colts can them in the rematch in Indianapolis, though. But that's a few weeks down the line. But for now, I'll take the Titans. And also, before we go to Griff, just very quickly want to remind uh, Bobby and Danny, for years said that Nick Foles was better than Ryan Tannehill. And I just feel obligated to bring that up on the show every time Ryan Tannehill comes up. That's all. Thank you. <laughs> That's another episode I got to get soon. I got to get Bobby, Danny, and Big Rat all in one room, on all on one Skype call to uh, discuss Nick Foles and amongst other NFL topics. Um, apart from having a new, actually a YouTube channel, I actually kind of started watching recently because it appeared on like my... Uh, homepage, and it's just like him and his now fiancé, which, by the way, congratulations, Michael Pittman, recently engaged. Younger than all three of us, I'm pretty sure, because actually, this is going to sound really weird, but I'm not sure exactly how old everyone here is, because I've never really asked that question. But, Michael Pittman's only 23, and he's already engaged, so you know what, Michael and Kiana, congratulations. Um, I know that through YouTube and Instagram. But, on another note, uh, he did get hurt. Like I said, too, you know what? That YouTube channel gave really good perspective and everything, too. Because I think he was either a knee or just, like, some ligament damage in his leg that he had. But, um, no, Michael Pittman was a guy that I was about to say, too, that, look, if the Colts want to get better offensively, they got to rely on him. Uh, Jack Doyle's kind of been a bit quiet this year. Like, last year he was really good from a fantasy perspective, but this year he hasn't really done much. Uh, Jonathan Taylor... Was a stud at Wisconsin. Uh, I big rat that Jonathan Taylor to the list of teams that uh, made Big Rat upset. Add him and Dalvin Cook on that shit list of his. Um, sorry, buddy, I had to say it. Hey, the Dalvin Dalvin Cook will forever have the top spot because he did it for Florida State, our fiercest rival, year after year after year. So he'd always be number one. But Jonathan Taylor definitely right up there next to him. And uh, oh, that's what I wanted to say. Um, to be honest, I could see this game going either way. I could see... Oh, also, too, just uh, as I'm watching NFL Network right now, Cam comes up, Jack Doyle has a concussion and he didn't participate in practice today, so even more stuff to worry about with the Colts. Um, I just think at the end of the day, you know what, Phillip Rivers lately... Oh, even Mo Ali cox is uh, limited, and T.Y. Hilton, too. Man, the guy, it seems like every year he's got a different injury. Like, one year it's his hip, one year it's his, like, his knee, one year it's his, like, this year it's his groin. But if he could stay healthy, he has potential. It's just he can't do that right now. Um, but if the Colts want to win, apart from getting the throwing game going, I think, you know what, you got to run the ball well against this uh, Tennessee defense because they're having a hard time stopping stuff. So if you want to, 
I think this could potentially be that Jonathan Taylor breakout game where we see him shine, but at the end of the day, we're going to be like the NBC crew was on Sunday night and the NFL Network and ESPN all pick the box. All three of us are picking the Tennessee Titans to win this game because at the end of the day, too, I think, you know what, Derrick Henry, I think it's officially tractor Cito season. So I think Derrick Henry is going to have a good game running the ball unless DeForest Buckner or Darius Leonard get to him. And for score, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's closer. I'm gonna say 21 to 17 that the Titans win. But Big Rat, I did like your um, one. T- like, say for example, if the Titans win this game, Colts win the next game. I like that a lot. I have I have a lot of Jonathan Taylor fantasy football, like a lot, a lot, a lot. So I would I would love for him to to finally explode. Like I was so convinced he would. So that would be lovely, absolutely. Also, Last thing, also to your point about Leonard and Buckner, Colts D line like sneakily the best in the league, like top five, like it's that good according to the metrics. Titans O line, you know, no Taylor Lewan, like got beat up a little bit by the Bears last week. That that might be something to watch if, if the Colts are to pull up the upset. Pull up the upset. But yeah, I, I think they're likely split it either way. I don't think any of us have any arguments to say with that. But anyway, guys, we've. Uh, Ooh, this has been a quite a long episode. Matt, I appreciate you sticking out for almost two hours tonight. Last night, I recorded my shortest episode ever tonight. One of the longest episodes ever. But you know what? When you've got a room with three guys, Matt Beast, Big Rat, and myself, Griff, who love to talk football, the conversation can go on forever and ever. But unfortunately, guys, I'm going to end this right now. Like I said before, Matt, thank you very much for sticking it out for basically what was like almost two episodes. Um... <laughs> And as Matt too, Matt's going to be on his high horse all like all week until the uh, Saints kick it off this Sunday against the uh, 49ers. Um, but one point I got to say is, Matt, you should talk to the Saints. I need those gold those gold rush, um, those color rush uniforms to be the Saints' new full time away uniforms. Those uniforms are amazing. Oh yeah, they are amazing. They're out there looking like a freaking Tommy from from the Power Rangers. <laughs> That's the funny comparison I like about there, but they're—I mean, uh, in my biased opinion, they're the cleanest uniforms in the league. Well, anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening to this, guys. Thank you very much for coming on, both of you. We worst tonight. I did have a plan where I was going to surprise each of the other person of, oh hey, Big Rat, you're here, or Mappies, whichever one got on first. But it's like, oh look, I got to add someone in, and then I was going to add the other guy in. But we know that we're going to talk off cam- or off camera, off microphone to get this going again so where we can have a full episode of the three of us talking football. But everyone, guys, I hope you enjoyed Week 9. I know I did, even though it was a very ugly win. I, we, I didn't talk about it much tonight, but I'm happy. My team won. It feels weird to say right now that out of all the teams that the Patriots are the one team who have a record of 5-3 and three, and that you have a 5-3. and th- if That Big Rat seems 5-3, and three, Matt 6-2. and two, and I'm the one who's under 500. Times are weird. We're in a weird year, though. But anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy Week 9. I'll see you back for Week 10. But as for these two guys, they'll be back very soon, and that is a promise you can take to the bank. Good night for now. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. 
The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.